Hey, if you would take your Bibles this morning and open them to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You can open your Bible or your um, or your scripture journal or uh, the pew Bible that is in front of you. Uh, we've got sort of a long chapter or long set of verses this morning, and you know, obviously, we're not going to cover them all. That was my original intention, but silly me. Um, So we're going to just start it this morning, Uh, but I do want to read them all for you and put that uh, put it all in context for you this morning. And we'll continue uh, through these few verses uh, next Sunday also. Um, But this morning, it'll be John chapter 14, and I want to read verses 16 through 31 uh, to set the stage for what what is to come. And God's inspired and errant word reads, I will ask the father. And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, then what has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I will I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, You would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Father, I ask the blessing upon the reading of your word. And now, Father, as we just introduced this text to you this morning, or to ourselves this morning, I I pray, Lord, that as we we add some thought, as I add some thought to this text, Father, that, uh, that your spirit would indeed illuminate this text for us, that you would bring to remembrance those things that you have told us and those things that you want us to know. And so I, I pray. Uh, Father, for your Holy Spirit to speak freely to us this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
The great mystery. The great mystery. This is Valentine's Day, and, and all of us experience mysteries at some time or another, things that are inexplicable, things that we cannot understand. And, and so this being Valentine's Day, I don't know if I've ever told this story here in this context or not, uh, but my wife is already leaving because she probably knows where I'm headed with this. Um, but, but on Valentine's Day, before we were married so many years ago, so many years ago, I don't remember how old we were, but I thought for Valentine's Day, what a better way to show my wife who I am than take her ice fishing. Right? I mean, come on, ladies. Who would not want to sit in this little shanty with this little lantern with little poles fishing through the ice? My wife is raising her She's raising her hand. Well, the great mystery is I done that and she still married me. So now what? Right? You know, but what better way to show someone who they are, right? I mean, this is the great mystery that we often see, the great mystery in that uh, simple, probably ill-advised analogy there, is that the mystery is that even though I showed her exactly who I am, I wanted her to know who I was, uh, she still married me even after enduring that. My sister warned me, by the way, it wasn't a good idea, but to this day, I think it was a fantastic idea. Um, But nonetheless, that is the great mystery. Uh, there's mysteries of life that we come into. There's mysteries in, in our own lives. There's times we look at our life and we wonder, hey, all of us can look back and say, how did we make it this far, right? There's many mysteries. And so this morning, we just want to look at that just a little bit. The, the, these mysteries uh, here that are before us, and, and there are many great mysteries in the world, and they're all around us. And we have learned to accept that which we cannot answer, all the while continuing to try and to search and to learn and to seek the answers to those mysteries. And so it is that we come to one such great mystery in the Bible this morning. This morning will serve only as an introduction to this last half of the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, that's what I would have liked to call this sermon this morning, was the introduction to the doctrine of the Trinity, because that would get me excited and most other people's would put them to sleep. So I called it the great mystery. But in essence, that's what we're talking about this morning, is the doctrine of the Trinity. It is essential to our faith. It is a cornerstone. It is one of the pivotal, it is one of the, 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 the foundational stones, if you will, of the Christian faith, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, uh, you know, we have the Nicene Creed, we got the Apostle Creed and many other creeds that are there that often recognize uh, the Trinity. And so this morning, if you would take your Mennonite hymnal in front of you and open it to page number 720, let's just read uh, not the Apostles' Creed or the, the Nicene Creed, though you will find them both here in our text, not page number, but you know what I mean by seven. Uh, 720, right? And we want to read uh, this one creed uh, together. Uh, and just to, just to uh, again, put before you a little bit this morning as we, we introduce this idea of the Trinity um, this morning. So are you there? Uh, 720 says, an affirmation of faith from the writings of John, from the writings of this gospel. So I thought it'd be very fitting. And let's just read it together. We believe that God is spirit and that they, we... Worship in spirit and in truth, sorry, that God is light, and that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that God is love, and that everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. 
that he is the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We believe in the Holy Spirit has come and convinces the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that he guides us into all truth. We believe that we are children of God and that he has given us his spirit. We believe that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we believe that the world passes away in the lust thereof, that he that does the will of God abides forever. It may be a nice practice uh, to have one of these creeds that we recite every Sunday morning as we gather together, kind of the foundation of our Christian faith, but you cannot find a creed out there uh, or, or a doctrine or a statement of faith without referencing the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so this morning, uh, that's what we want to look at here this morning. Um, Bavik writes this in The Wonderful Works of God, a nice little summary of his, of his longer uh, systematic theology. He, he writes this in there that in answer to the question, since there is but one divine being, why do we speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? The Heidelberg uh, uh, Catechism gives us a brief, conclusive answer. Because God has so revealed himself in his word. Right? That is the great mystery. Sometimes at the, sometimes as you see some of these mysteries, we just gotta say, well, that's what God revealed of himself in his word. We can't totally answer it. But we're gonna try, or we're at least gonna look at it here a little bit this morning. And so it is with this, with God's word that we turn to, to help us think through the great mystery known as the doctrine of the Trinity, of, of, of the Trinity. So the doctrine of the, of the Trinity, uh, you would find it in your systematic theology. It's all going to be there. And so th- this morning, though, uh, what we're going to do, because we're going to look at biblical theology a little bit, and, and, and I know some of those words can be scary, but we've got the biblical theology, we've got pneumatology, we've got uh, soteriology, and we've got, we got angelology. We've got all these ologies, and it's just a study of something, and this one would be the study of the, the Trinity. And we're going to trace it throughout the biblical text. We're not going to be pulling outside sources in necessarily, but we're just going to walk through the biblical text and see what God says about the Trinity in His Word, just to set the stage for where we're headed in the coming weeks. And so briefly, uh, though, I want to start and I want to turn to the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. I want to turn there and just just highlight a few things. So this morning would be an excellent time for you to have a a number two pencil and a piece of paper, and you can write some of these down if you you care to study them further. Um, But I want to go to Genesis first. And I'm going to be laying a lot of Scripture before you because uh, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? And you have to look at the totality of it. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, tells us that the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And there's many questions we have about creation and the, the beginning of the, the universe, if you will. But there's one thing that we must start and must acknowledge with, that, that there was God who spoke it. It's a debar, just, just spoke it into action and spoke it into to word. And here Genesis says it was the Spirit of God who, who was there. And it gives us a sense right from the second verse of the Bible that although we're not polytheists, we are monotheists, 
atheists, that still there seems to be a plurality of some sort of beings nonetheless. In, in a few verses down in the first chapter of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, verse 26, it says that God said, let us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Again, it's quite obvious here that, that it's a plural that God is speaking of. A couple chapters later in Genesis, in the 11th chapter of Genesis, uh, verse 7, when they built the Tower of Babel, and as the gods, as God looked down and see that they were building this tower, God said, hey, look at these people. We can't let them go on like this. If they keep going like this, there is nothing that they cannot do. Now think about that for a moment. That God has created His human beings, that God has created us in such a way that once we put our mind to something, there is nothing we cannot accomplish. And so God says, whoa, wait a minute. Come, let us, again, plural, let us go down there and confuse their language so that, here's the reason why, so that they will not understand one another's speech and won't destroy themselves. And just one other place <clears throat> that your mind might have already got gone to this morning, and that's in Ezekiel. <clears throat> in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses uh, uh, 26 and 27, um, as Ezekiel prophesies about the coming time, right? He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So again, we are told, uh, maybe not as direct language as plural, but we're told that there's a time where God is going to put His Spirit into us uh, here in Ezekiel. And we can also think of David as we think about the Old Testament. Sometimes people wonder, it's like, yeah, but was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, well yeah. He, he was, not as succinctly, if you will, as in the New Testament, because we believe in, in, in progressive revelation as God continued to reveal himself throughout the course of scriptures. But in the psalmist, right, when, when David had his, had his ordeal, uh, with Bathsheba, and where, where he was condemned for it and judged for it, David said this in Psalm 51, verse 11, it says, do not take as he came and confessed to God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So in the Old Testament, that's what we often see. We see that certain people had the Holy Spirit, if you want to use that language, exactly what the biblical writers used, the psalmist here being David, that the Holy Spirit at times was taking from that, and not everybody had it, even though they were followers of Yahweh. Um, so again, it was progressive revelation that we're going to see throughout the text here this morning. And so that just sets a little bit of a background for the Old Testament, because I don't want to spend a lot of time there. Um, but I do want to show you that though some may say that the Holy Spirit is not present in the Old Testament, he most, in, most, uh, 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 he most certainly is. He is most certainly there. And, and again, you know, you're all thinking, well, well Pastor, you know, we already know about the, the Trinity and all that. And I get that. I know you do. And we know we do. But I think sometimes to have this, this foundation to, to know why we believe what it is that we say we believe can be so, so important. And that's why we want to do this little exercise this morning, because we're going to have to. I didn't plan on it, 
but we're going to have to to get to where I want to go from this text. So I'm not even going where I want to go in this text, but we need to set this stage first. So nonetheless, I do want to now turn to our text this morning and look at the 16th verse. And I want you to notice the Trinity in the 16th verse of John chapter 14. Uh, So if you look at John chapter 16, you're going to notice right off the bat, you're going to notice the Trinity. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give me, or He will give you, another helper. Depending upon your translation, you might have another word other than than helper there. Um, You might have advocate, or or you might have counselor, or something like that there. But I'll give you another helper. Actually, it's interesting. I don't want to, I know I keep taking these little footnotes, because that's what happens anyways. Um, You know, God's Word is just inexhaustible. (laughs) I mean, you can just keep digging and digging, and you never will get to China. I mean, you just keep going, and more and more layers are there. But, but the interesting word, this word here for helper, it's, it's not, you can't even translate it into, into English. It's just such a, you know, advocate is often thought about. Someone who, who comes alongside is what it really is. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Father, and because I go to the Father, I'm going to send you somebody else who will come alongside you who will be there, who will walk with you uh, through the journey of life, and that He may be with you forever. And so what we see here, we see that the Son is praying. We see the Father that is giving, and then we see the Spirit that is comforting. I mean, as you just look at that one verse, and when you start noticing the Trinity and looking out for it, it's everywhere uh, throughout the Bible. Um, But we see the beauty of the, 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 the unity of the Trinity where the Son prays. The Father answers that prayer, and the Holy Spirit comforts you and I. You see the work of the Trinity. Which one of the Trinity do you want to eliminate? You can't, right? This is the the great mystery. You know, how do they all work together? And we're not going to be able to answer that question uh, as we in the coming weeks. But nonetheless, um, I would want you to notice the Trinity in verse sixteen. And then I want to also put this before you this morning before we go much further, and that is, you know, depending upon your predisposition, right? Depending upon your tendencies, uh, you have a tendency to emphasize uh, one of the members of the Trinity over the other, right? We all do. There's one of the members of the Trinity that, that maybe resonates with our heart, uh, maybe speaks to us a little more loudly, a little more clearly, succinctly than, than, than some of the others. And we want to be able, we have to, we must acknowledge that or, or we can't get to where we're going to go. We must know that that's how we are as people. Um, so when we, we break the Trinity apart a little bit, uh, you may be one. I would probably find myself in this camp a little bit. But where the sovereignty of God, right, is right up here. I mean, it's at the, at the top. You may be one of those who, who says, well, yeah, I get that, but, but it's really the atonement of Jesus that speaks to me. And it's, and it's, his, uh, it's his taking my sins upon Himself. It's the great exchange, Him taking our sins and Him giving us His righteousness that speaks to my soul and speaks to my need. It's all about the, the atonement, the redemption of Jesus, and the work He's done, the way that He, he ministered and, and, and the way that he, he was there living amongst the people. He wasn't as abstract. He wasn't as, as aloof, if you will, as maybe somebody who thinks of the, the, the sovereignty of God as much. Or you may say, yeah, I get the sovereignty of God. I get the atonement of Jesus. But really, but really, it's, it's, it's all about the, um, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that speaks to me. 
right? I, I get the sovereignty of God. I, I get the atonement of Jesus. But it's really the thought of the Holy Spirit living within me that gets me fired up, right? And so all of those are right, right? They're, they're not like incorrect. But one thing we must acknowledge that one of those three is going to speak a little louder or a little clearer to us than the other, right? And then the person sitting next beside you may have one of the other three that speaks a little more more to them, and we'll talk about that a little bit a little bit later. And so that's what we must acknowledge here this morning. And again, we must acknowledge, I want to put this before you once again this morning, that which one of the three do you want to eliminate? Right? You don't want to eliminate any of them. So I want to, as we continue through uh, work through our text here this morning, we're going to do this. Wow, I thought an introduction would suffice because I knew it was going to take some time, but whew, we're going to have to make the introduction in two parts. We can't do that. We've got to keep going. You guys ready to keep going? Okay. We'll keep plowing forward, all right? You're writing all these texts down, and you can do some of your own studies. But Ephesians. I want to go to Ephesians. I love Ephesians chapter 1. I love Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, again, because of my emphasis on the sovereignty of God, right? Uh, or maybe you don't know that I'm telling you that's right. Uh, so I want to turn there a little bit this morning. This gets me excited. Um, I want to turn there this morning to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I just want to look at three verses because we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul was quite clear as he's taught, writing to the church at Ephesus. He said, it is the Father who chooses, it is the Son who redeems, and it is this Holy Spirit who seals Again, which one of the three do you want to eliminate? None, right? And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3, <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. <laughs> do you know that? Before the foundation of the world was ever laid, you were chosen by God. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. Huh. Let's continue. So we look at verse uh, 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. In Him. Transition now. He's pivoting from God to Jesus, right? So in Him, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And here we see the, the second person of the Trinity in the redemption of Jesus. Let's jump down to verse 13. In verse 13, it says that in Him, again, we're going to pivot, in Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Right? Which one of the three do you want to eliminate? The Father who chooses, the Son who redeems, or the Holy Spirit who seals? You can't, right? And that's the Trinity. That is the, the, the great mystery of the Trinity that our faith is founded and hangs upon there this morning. Peter. <laughs> Peter puts it a little more uh, succinctly than Paul does. Uh, with this same thought, he covers it in one verse, uh, in First Peter chapter one, verse one and two. I guess that's two verses. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay, here we go. So, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
first person, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ with the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That's how Peter starts out his letter, his epistle to those he was writing to with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God chooses. Jesus redeems. The Spirit seals. It's firing on all cylinders, right? I'm not a very mechanically minded person, though I have worked in a mechanic shop a time or two, uh, more so on small engines, and they often just have one cylinder, I think. Is that right? Nonetheless, I look at the mechanic. Uh, but if one of the cylinders isn't firing, the engine isn't running the way it should. And here we see the Trinity, if we want to use such a crude analogy as that. But the engine is firing on all cylinders. Which one do you want to de-emphasize? And so I ask you this morning, you know, I ask you this morning, um, what is your faith founded on? Right? <clears throat> what is your faith founded upon? What do you do? What do you do when, you're, when, when a mentor someone that you have looked up to all your life, who brought you to Christ, walks away from the faith, gives up. Things come out in the news. You know, it seems like constantly in the news, some great leader, someone that we've always looked to, falls from grace. Falls from grace. Does that destroy your faith? And I might add this. You'll never see me in the news. Um, because I'm just a little guy. But little guys also fall every day from grace. Media just doesn't know about them. How many little guys in these little churches like this across our land, when that pastor, when that mentor falls from grace, destroys how many young minds and young faith? See, if your faith is hinged upon a person instead of the Trinity, when that happens, that person can... That can destroy your faith. And so that's why it's so important to dig into some of these things sometime because your faith isn't based upon me for Peter's sake. <laughs> Is that almost a swear word? I don't think so. Right? But your faith must be rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's all biblical theology is. Who holds you fast? Okay? Let's take it one step further. Okay, we said we put it out there second person. Let's go first person. So who holds you fast? God? Jesus? The Holy Spirit? The Trinity? Or you? Or you? Can you hold your faith secure? It takes the Trinity. It's a Trinitarian work. It's a Trinitarian work. Let's continue to plow forward, um, turn over some fresh soil, if you will. <laughs> and as Paul closes his epistle to the church at Corinth, he concludes with the Trinity. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the very last verse of, of Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be and the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's how Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians with the Trinity. With the Trinity. Trinities throughout the whole biblical text. You can't get away from it. 
You yourself would confess it. Now I want to give you the ammunition or the, oh, maybe that's not a good, I want to give you the, the tools to be able to defend that, though you can't fully explain it. I want to also look at the Trinity here quickly. <clears throat> I'll quit saying quickly because it's going to, anyways. I, I want to look at the Trinity that is in the birth narrative. And you just, listen, it, it's all through the Bible and this is just foundation, groundwork for where we're going. The Trinity is in the birth narrative. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's one. And you will have the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Here you see, you see the Trinity again, do you not? Trinity was there at the birth of Jesus. The Trinity, the Trinity was there at the baptism of Jesus. In the baptismal narrative, you also see the Trinity. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. This is God. And said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Again, you see the Trinity in the baptismal narrative of Jesus. And also you see the Trinity, the Trinity is involved in the atonement of Jesus. Uh, again, whatever your emphasis is this morning, you cannot get away from the Trinity. The Trinity is in the atonement. Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 9. For the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled those who had been defiled and sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more? It's from the lesser to the greater. How much more than the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. Again, you see the Trinity involved in the atonement. The Trinity was involved in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, Luke, John, and Paul, three pillars of the Gospel, three pillars of the New Testament, they all point to one of the individuals of the Trinity, and collectively you see the Trinity evolved in the resurrection. Because, of course, that's why that's why you can't do all things through a verse taken out of context. Everything must be kept in context. The Bible speaks for itself in totality, not separately. So, nonetheless, in, in Luke chapter, in, in Luke, uh, in Luke, in Peter's sermon in Acts where Peter preached his fantastic greatest sermon besides those of Jesus maybe ever preached. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, credits God. Peter says, this Jesus, who God raised up. John, John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, credits Jesus. John credits Jesus. For this reason the Father loves me, Jesus said, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. In Paul, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, verses uh, uh, 1 through 4, uh, again, we see there, we see the, uh, the Trinity of Jesus. And I failed to mention this. Let me turn to it quickly. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with the power of the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit. Paul says it was the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you see the Trinity in the resurrection of Jesus. You see the Trinity in the great commission that has been given to you and I. 
right? Jesus, before his ascension, he gave the 11, because there was one missing, he, he gave the 11 in us our marching orders, if you will. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we know it well. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, even to the ends of the age, eon. It should be the ends of the age there. So you see the Trinity there in the Great Commission. You see the Trinity in the spiritual gifts. Right, the, those who 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 want to who, who who have the tendency to, to focus in on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, well, well the Trinity is there. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses four to six, Paul says this: Now there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Right, and there are variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Do you notice the Trinity there? You'll just find the Trinity throughout the whole Bible. Which one do you want to eliminate this morning? I want to, um, as I bring this for sure to a close here, I want to go down a couple more verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13, or 12 and 13. And I want to get away from the Trinity just a little bit this morning to focus on us. In verses um, 12 to 14, Paul pivots from that and he says this. He says, for even as the body is one, right? Even as the body is one and yet has many members. And all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. Listen, just as there's unity in the Trinity, there must also be unity within the church. Just as there's unity in the marriage, there must be, because it's demonstrated by Jesus' love for the church, right? You see this throughout the whole biblical text. And for, for us this morning, where I want to leave you then is this, because that's just our introduction to the last half of the 14th chapter. 